And so we have quite a bit to, to take a look at this morning as we um, continue our series in Genesis. Uh, but first, I just want to thank Darnell for sharing his heart with us in communion, bro. I appreciate it. Um, love your heart, man. Um, thanks so much for, for that and for preparing us for communion. Um, also, I want to thank everyone that was here on Saturday helping to, to for spring cleaning. Definitely appreciate that. Everybody worked hard and the place looks awesome. And so um, definitely appreciate that as well. Um, but to begin with, I just want to, to ask, have you ever met a blatant deceiver? Just blatant deceit, right? Like all the time, right? And, um, you know, someone who feels like the only way to, to get ahead in life is to be deceitful. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to, I, I, I contemplated whether I wanted to use this illustration or not, right? But there is an article that came out, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it. I, I want to say that I have no political affiliation, right? And so um, just want to say that. Just want to put that out there. But it's the, the, the title of the article says, Congressman Ridiculed for Lying His Way Into Office. For weeks, late-night television hosts have been been uh, feasting on comedic material from the story of Congressman George Santos. After a series of journalistic um, investigations exposed some bizarre, almost inexplicable lies he told as part of his campaign, included in the litany of now-debunked tall tales include lies about where he went to high school and college, previous places of employment, campaign fund disclosure violations, and his personal history and ethnic heritage. He lied about his mother dying during the terrorist attacks in 9-11 and about employees of his dying during the tragic 2016 shooting of the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Santos even lied about having Jewish-Ukrainian heritage, even though multiple family records trace his maternal grandparents to Brazil. Yeah, well, Santos, but anyway. And when asked to explain the contradiction in an interview with the New York Post, he backtracked. Santos said, I am Catholic because I learned my maternal because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, I said I was Jewish. It's just on and on and on and on. Now, I don't have any record of whether he really lied or whatever. Like I said, this is an article, right? And it's just on and on and on and on with, with, with the deceit. And so I want us to, to, to realize here that those who distort the truth will ultimately be discovered and discredited. You know, deception for personal gain is not new. It dates back even to the story of Jacob and Esau. You know, God never justifies or agrees with the sin of the quote-unquote trickster Jacob, right? He never, he never justifies or agrees with it, but also what he does do is accept him as his own. And by accepting Isaac's blessing of Jacob, 
and confirming the promise given to him. God is showing the world that his ways are not based on merit. His ways are not based on birth order or whatever the world uses to judge worth. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for this time to to open your word, Father, and to, to explore your word, to explore the text. Father, I pray that as we leave this morning, we will, we will walk away uh, just knowing something different about you, something more of you, Father. God, I pray that this message is not my own, but it is your message to us this morning. Let your Holy Spirit move in this place. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I know that I'm flawed, right? And I have many weaknesses. I, I don't have any issue sharing my weaknesses. I don't have any issue sharing my flaws. You know, but it's, it's scary to think that these flaws and weaknesses would keep me from God's blessing. I don't ask that God accept my weaknesses, my sin, my struggles, but I am grateful that he will accept me as his own. You know, you can't really see this uh, this chart right here. It's it's kind of tiny, but um, I'll put it out. I'll put it in the um, in our group me in our church group me. But what it is 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 just basically a timeline, right? A timeline of what we're about to talk about that happened in about 1980 or so BC. And what we learn in Genesis 27 through 28 is that God can use even human deception to accomplish his plan. He can use that to accomplish his plan of extending his covenant blessing to a younger Jacob. And so we're going to explore that. So this is my one and only point this morning is that God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. You're going to hear me say that quite a few times. So what's happening to the characters in this story. Let us take a look at some context before we begin, right? Um, Since Genesis 12, the stories have all centered around Abraham, the promise to Abraham and his response to that promise. And Nathan touched on quite a bit of that as well. But after Genesis 22, the focus shifts to Isaac. And Isaac marries And has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they are fraternal twins with Esau fighting his way through being born first, right? No, he didn't really fight his way through, but he was born first, right? And now in the ancient Near Near Eastern culture, the rights of the father is passed on to the firstborn, right? Whoever is born first, lucky guy. Right, and the rights are passed on to him. But what we find out in these chapters is that Esau despised his birthright and was not worthy of that privilege of being the firstborn. How did this all happen? Well, first of all, we have the sale of his birthright, right, to his brother. Of course, this is an important component, both Esau and Isaac made decisions with their stomachs. I don't know how any, I don't know how, if some of you do the same thing, right? You know, you make decisions 
And sometimes you can't, you don't want to make a decision on an empty stomach. Got to pack it in there first, right? David, David's laughing at me. He's, he knows my deal. But yeah, so, you know, many, you have Esau and Isaac who they, they made their decision by their stomachs, right? And Esau despised his birthright. He, Esau was not worthy of the privilege of being the firstborn. He gave that up. He acted on his physical appetites. Another important clue that we need to understand for before we move on here to chapters 27 and 20, 28 is to know that Esau also married two Hittite women. He thereby shows that he fails to appreciate Abraham's concern that they not intermarry with Canaanites. And so by marrying outside the lineage of the Terah, Esau disinherited, is disinherit, disinheriting himself in another way than just his stomach, right? So that's the second way he, he went about doing that. Right away, we identify again that Esau is not worthy of the privilege of being the firstborn. So now Isaac loved Esau. Why? Same thing, the stomach, right? Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, right? Isaac is like, look, this is the guy right here that's going to fill my belly. And so in that passage, we also read about this favoritism shown by Isaac and even Rebekah showing this favoritism to, with Jacob, right? So it just goes on and on and on. And we learn some family dynamics here <laughs> in all of this, this favoritism. That they had. And so Jacob also, just another note in context here, Jacob was known for his moral shortcomings and was not the likely, the likely candidate to receive that blessing. For instance, if we had been neighbors. If we have been neighbors to the household of Isaac and Rebekah and dependent on our human judgment, we very probably would have selected Esau above Jacob as the brother more likely to succeed. We, right, in today's culture, would probably have agreed that Esau was a good and promising young man. Just a little hungry, right? We, to be sure, he had some rough edges. You know, we would have said, but overall, he had what it takes. He was a hunter. He was active, athletic, right? Red-blooded, <laughs> right? He, he smelled of the fields and the outdoors, any of you guys feel, smell like the fields and the outdoors? <laughs> he was he was he was kind to his parents, right? His character was unquestioned. His reputation was good, right? Not many of those things said related in any way to how he loved God. But anyhow, on the other hand, everyone seemed to know about Jacob's moral shortcomings, right? He was a trickster. 
That was that's what he's was identified as. And if we're living in the same tent with Jacob, we would lock up our valuables pretty tight. Right. We'd put them away, put them away at night, make sure they're secure. And with scheming and cheating, Jacob, Jake around the place. Jacob, you know, was known as a person that you better be very careful around. him. No, if we had to pick Jacob or Esau to live with, we would have picked Esau at that time in our in their lives. But it turned out that God had something that I'm sorry, that Jacob had something Esau never possessed. Jacob had an inner longing for God. Yeah, Jacob was deep in sin, but when it came to the time of soul crisis, he felt the tug and the lift of another. By comparison, Esau's controlling vice was his continuing and complete self-satisfaction. He wanted to satisfy himself. That's what Esau was about, right? If we, if we read this passage, the passage we're about to read, we see this self-satisfying nature that Esau has. And the thing that, dem- that damned him was his spiritual complacency. He was very complacent spiritually. His satisfaction and, and contentment in being just what he was or who he was. He had no desire to change. He had no desire to be godly. He had no desire to be God's man. Very interesting. A very different individual. Another important part of the background is that the Lord's prophecy before the twins are born, right? The prophecy is that the older shall serve the younger. Very interesting. The older shall serve the younger was a prophecy. You know, this is strange because, as I already mentioned, in that culture, the firstborn had significant advantages. The firstborn would inherit a double portion. Amen? A double portion and receive special blessing. But here, God's plan was the opposite, that the older shall Serve the younger. And so, but even before that, we need to also take note of God's blessing of Abraham, which the Lord later gave to Isaac, and which Isaac now passes on to Jacob. So, by Genesis 27, which we can go ahead and turn there, by Genesis 27, Isaac, himself an old man, blessed his eldest son while he still can, right? Or is to bless his eldest son while he still can. But now we have Rebecca, who conspired with Jacob to deceive Isaac and secure the blessing for Jacob. Let's start our reading there in Genesis 27. And we're going to read up until 29. So quite a bit of reading this morning. So, so follow along in your Bible. 
It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment and your quiver and your bow and go out to an open country to hunt some wild game for me. Some translations say that that is venison, right? And prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. You catching that? Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, different from what my Esau was about to hunt, right? Two young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. While I am, while I have smooth skin, <laughs> right? what if my father touches me? I would appear to be to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, "My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me." So he went and got them and, and brought them to to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took, she, see, Rebecca knows the way to Isaac's heart, right? She's like, I just got, it doesn't matter if it's venison or goat. I just got to make it tasty and we're good. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and, and the smooth part of his neck with goatskins. Then she, ha she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Wow, the gall. The gall on this guy, right? And so he goes on to say, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Now, okay, this should be the first red flag. I... I don't know how smart a man Isaac is, but this should be probably the first red flag, right? The Lord your God, the Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Here he's using God's name in all of this, right? 
Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Come on, smart guy. All right. Like work with us here. You know what I mean? And so he's using all his senses. The first sense he used was his hearing, and now he's using touch. Right? Um, He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son Bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought, brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. I bet you Jacob was like, oh, no, this is, this is going downhill. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, here's the other sense, right? He blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. Now here is where we need to focus on this passage some more. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And so while Esau should have been the recipient of this blessing, his mother and brother had another plan. Right. And, and while Esau is out hunting at his father's request, Rebecca has Jacob dress up and appear like Esau and brings him, bring Isaac this food. He lies to his father about his identity, this deceit. Right. And when Isaac has some doubt, Jacob lies some more. Then Isaac pronounces the blessing upon Jacob that should have gone to Esau. And the blessing ends with the same blessing that God had promised Abraham so many years before. The implication here is that the promise of God is now continuing from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to his second born son, not his firstborn. So, what is happening? In this passage, and how can we look at this passage and compare it to our lives today? Deception is still rampant. Deception is still rampant in our world. We see this all over the news. We see this wherever we go, that people will deceive you for the silliest reasons. Not sometimes important things, but for the silliest reasons, they will deceive And we see deceit all over the news and even in our local Walmart. There's an article that I've read 
called Cell Phonies Take Deception to a New Level. Cell Phonies. The cashier had already rung up Carrie Worcester's items. And items rung up her items when she realized she didn't have her wallet. She dashed to her car and returned empty-handed to face the line of fidgeting customers that she had kept waiting. A cell phone pressed to her ear. Jordan, did you take my wallet out of my purse? She asked in parental exasperation as she made her way back to the checkout counter. I'm holding up the line. You need to put things back where you find them. Worcester, who has no children, was not actually talking to Jordan or indeed to anyone at all. But her monologue served its purpose, earning her sympathetic looks from the frustrated crowd at her local Walmart. Call Worcester a cell phony. She is part of a growing number of people who are using their cell phones to carry on fake conversations to deceive or manipulate those around them. Some cell phonies, you get the cell phony now? Some cell phonies use their cell phones to avoid contact with annoying co-workers or even supervisors. Some pretend to be finishing a call when they arrive late for a meeting. Hey, yeah, but well, they're calling you back, right? The fake phone call has a technique all its own. Inexperienced, inexperienced cell phonies risk exposure with their limited repertoire of, uh huh, uh yeah, uh huh, um sure, why not? Uh yeah, uh. Sophisticated simulators achieve authenticity by reenacting their side of the actual dialogue. Or they call voice-activated phone trees. So it sounds as if someone is talking on the other end. See, they get so sophisticated with the cell phone thing. Like, they got it going on. They know how to do that thing, right? They're not, uh-huh, yeah, sure, uh, yeah. They have this whole thing figured out just to be phony, just to be deceitful, to get their own way, perhaps holding up the line thinking somebody's going to be sympathetic and pay it forward. I'll pay for your groceries, you know. Pretty slick. Many people are motivated by personal gain and will deceive others to get what they want. Analyze whether that could be you. We often judge worth based on merit or birth order. We would, right? Rather than seeing people as God sees them. We're all like Jacob. With our own weakness with our own struggles, and even our occasional deceit, we're sometimes phony and even cell phonies. Yet God still accepts us as his own. Regardless of those things that we may do, God will still accept you 
as his own. It's not to say that you are supposed to behave that way. But God will still accept you as his own. We need to be careful that we don't judge others based on our worldly standards. Which is quite easy to do. I hear it all the time. And can sometimes fall into a trap myself. But rather we should recognize that God's ways are not based on merit or birth order. His doesn't bless us. He doesn't bless us because we're so worthy. And so now we looked at the issue that we find in this passage. We looked at how it plays its part in our world. But here comes God. What does this story teach us about God? God's plan was that the older son shall serve the younger. Now the Torah frequently undermines what were at the time of this writing universal beliefs and practices, right? In the ancient world, it was believed that great men were usually the firstborn. The firstborn, he was the man. But the Torah asserts merit is more important than birth order. For example, Jacob over Esau, as we're reading now. The previous choice of Isaac over Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael was born first. The subsequent example of, of Joseph over his brothers. And later Moses over his older brother Aaron. Do you see the pattern? Indeed, to a statistically unlikely extent, the great figures of the Bible are not firstborn sons. Ultimately, in the case of King David, Israel's most famous king, who was the youngest of eight sons. So we see when God enters a picture, things are different. Things change so that God's plan can work. This was the plan and this is the plan that will be fulfilled. So as we pray and we think about our lives, we got to be careful about whose plan we're looking to. It was prophesied. It was promised. And let me tell you, God keeps his promises. I mean, can you keep a promise? Are you good at keeping your promises? Because God never makes a mistake with his promises. You know, we yearn for people to keep their promises to us from something small, like promising even to return a phone call. I'm terrible at that. From something small to returning a phone call to promising something big. How about like marital fidelity? Promises can make and break trust and faith. How are you with your promises? People can go to great lengths to keep a promise. In the animated movie, by the way, Aladdin, the title character must choose whether to use his last wish to make his life comfortable 
or to keep his promise to free the genie. And Aladdin keeps his promise and gives the genie his freedom. We might wonder if people will keep their promises, but God will keep his promise. God will keep his promise regardless of the situation. God keeps his promises. God is faithful and he's true. You know, Captain Robert Campbell was a British POW captured by Germany during World War I. When his mother became gravely ill, now check this out. When his mother became gravely ill, he begged to visit her. He promised Kaiser Wilhelm II that if he would be allowed to leave captivity and see his mother, he would voluntarily return to be imprisoned. Campbell was granted his request. He said, yeah, go ahead. You better come back. You better keep your promise. He was granted his request, and he was a man of his word. Though he could easily have decided to take the easy route and not return, he kept his promise and came back to be imprisoned. Similarly, God's word is trustworthy. When he promises something, he is honor bound to fulfill it. He is honor bound to fulfill his promises to us. His word is bond. But it is so interesting how all this plays out. In Genesis 27, 30 through 32, what did we see? What do we see here? After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. Oh boy, here he goes. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? Now listen to what he says. He says, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Let's stop right there for a second and let me ask you, who is the trickster now? Who is the trickster now? Because Jacob, we we see his blatant trickery. But here's the deceit in what he says. He says to his father's question, who are you? Esau should simply have responded with his name. That I'm Esau. But instead, by adding your firstborn, he led claim to the blessing he wanted to receive. So instead of just saying, oh, it's Esau, he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. See, Esau apparently either didn't take seriously trading his birthright for a bowl of soup. Or he did not want to acknowledge there were consequences to that sale. 
Whichever the case, he omitted any mention of his change in status. So what I want us to see is how blatantly obvious Jacob's trickery is. But Esau is just as much a trickster. We saw, talked about in the beginning, who would you rather live next to or with? And we, I guess it is assumed that it would be Esau, right? But he's just as much of a trickster. Withholding that information was indeed deceptive. And he knew it. Otherwise, he would have answered the question to who are you by simply saying, it's me, Esau. See, God can use even human deception to accomplish his plan of extending his covenant blessing to a younger Jacob. God never justifies or agrees with sin, but also accepts sinners as his own. When the truth came out, there was strife in the home. Right? What happens in our houses when the truth comes out? There's strife. Issues. None of us, I think, are unfamiliar to issues in the home. And Jacob eventually leaves home and travels to see his cousin Laban. But while sleeping... While sleeping, Jacob has a dream in which God appears and confirms that he is with Jacob and that the promise made to Abraham will indeed be fulfilled through him. How amazing is our God? Genesis 28, 10 through 17. What does it say? It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out to Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there. Now, let me ask you guys, have you ever slept on a stone? That's so bizarre to me. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Man, that's a tough sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, now another thing, angels ascending and descending. Okay, I thought it would be more descending and ascending, but they were ascending and descending. So they're already there in this dream. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will and and I will bring you back to this land. 
I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I mean, God says he is going to be with him. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable moment. So remarkable that even Jesus comments upon this later on in in John 1:51. By accepting Isaac's blessing of Jacob and confirming the promise given to him, God is showing the world that his ways are not based on merit or birth order or whatever the world uses to judge worth. That is not what God does. That's a worldly behavior. As Jesus would later say, the last will be first and the first last. Kind of opposite from this guy. In the movie Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby's father left him when he was very young. One of the last things he said to his son was, if you ain't first, you're last. Have you guys seen this? Okay, just making sure. This way of seeing the world guided every decision he made, right? And his pursuit of being number one, just because of what his dad said. Yet when his world comes crashing down, he realizes his way of seeing the world is flawed. God's gospel turns our world upside down, doesn't it? By showing us our need for his grace. Even through our our darkness and our sin. So what do we need to do in response to this story? Well, I think we need to repent of any deception or dishonest gain in our lives. I don't think deception or dishonest gain is foreign to all of us. We need to repent of deception and dishonest gain. We need to see others as God sees them. Not based on merit or birth order. Right? But see them as God sees them. We need to change our paradigm and how we look at each other and think about each other. And we need to trust in God's plan and his ability to use even our weaknesses for his purpose. Do you know God's plan? And if you don't know his plans, you search for his plan. You study and try to figure out what is God's plan for my life. And have faith in his promises. Have faith in his plan. Sometimes I think we make decisions based on our own thought process, our own wisdom, our own intelligence. We're so smart. But what is God's plan for your life? 
how do you learn of his plan? You seek it in the scriptures. And be faithful to him. Now, because here's the thing. Rebecca knew that Jacob should have gotten this birthright. Right? But the, at the second she hears Isaac and Esau's conversation, it's like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me insert myself into this and figure it out for Jacob. To the point where she said to Jacob, listen to me, do what I tell you, boy. So that you can have this blessing. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been more encouraging a read in the scriptures to know that she just trusted the Lord? Regardless of their conversation, just trust the Lord. But is that what we do? The first, the first side of something on the news, first side of something that we read, we change our whole thing. Our whole, our whole like paradigm is shifted. Away from being faithful. So what can we do even as a church family? Hold each other accountable to live with integrity and honesty. We got to do more of that. We got to do more holding each other accountable to have integrity and to be honest. Recently, I'm hearing all this crazy going on where there's a lack of integrity. And it's because we haven't behaved in such a way where we're our brother's keeper as it comes to integrity and honesty. I don't see, like I used to back in the day, people in a corner with their Bibles working it out. I don't see that happen anymore. It's more of like, let's let's talk about this with words from our own intelligence, our own heart, but yet the scriptures are left out. How is that integrity? How is that helping each other? Meanwhile, we are disciples and we're disciples because of the word, but yet what we do is we close this and we say, hey, I got you. Let's talk. We have to encourage each other to see others as God sees them. Not based on worldly standards. When we look at each other, do we see God's son? Do we see God's daughter? And so if we do see that, then it should change the way we interact with each other. Trust in God is a third thing. Trust in God, God's plan for the church family and for our world. Do we trust God with what he is doing with this church family, with your brothers and sisters? Or is it just a matter of, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Oh, this isn't happening, so let me insert myself and get it figured out. That is something I see too. Where we're feeling like, oh, well, this isn't working out. So guess what? Ha, I'm coming to the rescue. Yeah, we need to help. Yeah, we need to encourage. But we need to have faith for God's plan for this church family. Yeah. God has his plan. 
and it supersedes yours. Your plan is not that relevant, I'm sorry to say. It's God's plan that is relevant. And so let's just recap a little bit in, in conclusion here. You know, this story shows the seriousness of a blessing from God as well as the finality of our words. When you pray to God, how seriously do you take your words and his response? Are we praying out of duty or are we praying to see something happen? Isaac was not happy with being tricked. But he realized he could not take back what he said. He couldn't just be like, oh, just kidding. Just kidding, Jacob. Figured you out. Esau came in. So I'm taking my what I said. I'm giving it to Esau. He couldn't do that. And God's appearance of appearance to Jacob further showed how God honored the blessing. Even if it was made in a seemingly dishonest way, which there that can be debatable, y'all. <laughs> whether it was so dishonest or not. Because I think the real deceit was with Esau. But regardless, God's plan can be fulfilled. And God uses even human deception to accomplish his plan of extending his covenant blessing to the younger Jacob. Despite Jacob's deceitful actions, God still accepts him and blesses him according to his plan. What areas in your life do you struggle with? What weaknesses do you have? Just as God accepted Jacob despite his shortcomings, he also accepts you with all your flaws, with all your imperfections, with all your weaknesses, God accepts you. God can use and to close, God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. I said that over and over because I want us to hear it. The greatest deception of all time was the trial of Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who, de- who betrays the son of man. A little later, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right? Judas would be held responsible for his betrayal. But Jesus would die as it was written of him. God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. Later, chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. At last, they found two false witnesses, right? Two deceivers who agreed, and the council decided he is worth worthy of death. Matthew 26, 59. God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. Then they took Jesus to Pilate. 
who represented the Roman Empire. Although Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and even washed his hands in innocence, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Guess what happened? He handed him over to be crucified. God can use even human deception to accomplish his redemptive plan. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to the crowd Jesus of Nazareth and talked about the fact that he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, handed over to all of us by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible to death to keep its hold on him. God can use even human deception, even yours and mine and those who put Jesus on the cross to accomplish his redemptive plan. Jesus died to pay the penalty of sin once for all and rose again to reestablish God's good kingdom on earth. Let us rest in God's plan and let us trust God's plan for our lives and for the world. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Can we get another hand for JD? No. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And he can use us when we feel unusable. Amen. 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 With that, we'll stand up. Pray to be like Jacob. That we seek those intimacies with God. Amen. 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 I, I, and just this, this song means a lot.